Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Today, I have actor and martial arts expert, Lise Lacasio. Lise was in my film Fractals, which I made over the summer and I'm currently in post-production of. Uh, she's an excellent talent, and I really wanted to get her on the record, get her story on the record. And so here's my first podcast with Lise, and I hope there will be many more after. Uh, enjoy. Thanks. So how's it going? How you been? I mean, uh, how's it been? That's a, it's a loaded question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I've been uh, pretty good with everything. I'm not really sure. I mean, but overall, I feel like I'm doing pretty good with things. How about you? How are you doing? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> I'm learning a lot about politics. Oh, yeah. And I'm learning a lot about how much I've really slowed down in terms of my creative process. Because mm. I, I used to do this thing where, like, I could shoot a film in the morning, edit in the afternoon, and have it out by dinner time. Yeah. And I'm nowhere near done with the, even the first pass assembly of this project, which we worked on. Uh, and so... Yeah, it's just this realize this realization that wow, I'm not as desperate as I used to be in terms of feeling like I have to get it done quickly, you know. And um, yeah, it's it's a very strange feeling. <laughs> actually, I, I'm kind of with you on that. I totally understand. I'm actually going to turn back on my camera because I like looking at your picture. Um, oh, okay, sure. Redirection. Um, I hope that's okay. But um, no. Oh, yeah. Hey, there you are. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I'll do it. Yeah. It's connection. I'm like, I need to stare at something. I'm just looking at the URL and I'm like, I can't <laughs> URL anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah. You can totally put your picture on if you're uncomfortable or whatever. <laughs> it's a podcast. But um, no, I totally understand what you're saying. I think this year I've been so much more hands off with the art side of things that I'm just like, I'm very much at peace with it because I'm just like, it's all going to come together and there's no need to rush anything. It's very weird. Yeah. I don't know if it's uh, the fact that I'm a few months away from 40 or if like, I want to make sure my, my audio is being captured by the right microphone. Yeah. Uh, or if uh, the fact that I've, I spent so many years really learning other craft moves that I I'm almost a little more fulfilled than I would have been before. Like before I never would have thought to build my own sets like I did with this one or build my own props like I did with this one. And I'm wondering too, if maybe because I've went so far into all these other various crafts that, that helped quell the desperation. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's just definitely a time of expansion, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there is two ways to go with um, this time period. It's either, and of course, you know, turning 40, that's like a big milestone. But then even just during this time, it's either you can look at it as a meaning of like hopelessness and all is lost. It's a waste of a fucking year. Or how can I grow during this time where I'm being forced to do nothing and restrained? Yeah. And, and I definitely like... I've definitely pulled the trigger on growth and productivity during this. 
Like last spring when it started, I'm like, fucking great. Like not great that people are dying, but great that, you know, I, one of my favorite uh, pieces of literature is from this French author, Louis Ferdinand Céline. He's often just referred to as Céline. And he wrote about um, how he just wishes everybody in Paris would stop so he could catch his breath. Stop for a moment. So he could just get a, a, some semblance of peace. And uh, I always loved that quote because I'd always wanted New York City to stop so I could catch up. I felt like yeah. I didn't know where, where culture was going and I could never seem to like get, get it together in time. I was always a little late with my ideas. And I feel like as soon as New York literally stopped last spring, I turned out five screenplays. First draft, so not like great screenplays, but okay. one of them ended up being refined into something that I think I'm going to submit to some awards. Uh, but then also, like, we ended up making our film this summer. Uh, oh, and I, I never really did a proper introduction. Uh, so for everybody, oh, right. yeah. <laughs> um, I was just so crazy. <laughs> I haven't really talked to somebody during this fucking pandemic, so I'm just like. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, I was just like, oh, we're having a conversation. Um, <laughs> everybody, so everybody who's been listening straight through all, since I started this thing so far has only met Sean Mannix, uh, another actor on the project. And so mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do is get everybody from Fractals on um, at least once, but however frequently they want. Uh, to uh, just kind of introduce people to my collaborators. And so, everybody, this is Lise Lacasio, and she's the ass kicker of the project. <laughs> and she literally kicks uh, our main character's ass, uh, beats him to the curb, and it's a totally <laughs> badass moment in the movie. <laughs> I love how the, the scene came out. It looks really good. <laughs> oh, thanks. And, and that's without sound design and without, yeah. like, I haven't finessed the cuts yet. That's just uh, me peppering in right, right, the right. shots that I selected. And so, yeah, I love the way that se- sequence came out. I love how it's it's tonally just kind of, liter- I mean, it's literally overcast, but tonally it's, it feels like overcast. And then there's this intense moment where he's getting the shit kicked out of him for no apparent reason. And then it's back to that tonal overcast and I, I don't know, it's just, I never would have predicted that. And what I was thinking about yesterday was, as I was assembling it, uh, you know, I'm an hour and 20 minutes in now, and we're nowhere near, like, the end. So it's going to be a really long movie. But um, I was just thinking, my goal was to make something I couldn't personally predict. And so I couldn't answer a lot of questions to a lot of the actors that, were asking me all these really important questions that directors should know. And I'm like, I don't know because I'm trying not to predict this thing, <laughs> which is yeah. kind of a strange approach. But at the same time, I'm like looking at this movie and I'm like, wow, this is like, I have no idea what this movie is. I love it. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the goal. I, I wanted to make something I didn't predict. And I, and I think I'm going to have that because it's so not what I, you know, the first riddle, like this is basically a movie about, this guy who's an artist going around the city, finding riddles and solving those riddles. And each riddle takes him to the next one. First riddle isn't introduced until an hour in. Wow. Yeah. It's like all, um, I wouldn't say it's set up, but it's 
just familiarizing people with sort of the art life and sort of the oppression of not succeeding in art in the arts, which was kind of the root of it anyway. But um, I kind of like like that it's out of structure, out of format uh, that way. But I, I'm interested to see how long it ends up actually being. Yeah. <laughs> see how it comes together and everything. I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about you. Okay. I want people to know about you. Okay. So, uh, let's start with background. Uh, where'd you grow up? Where I grew up was Hunterdon County, basically like farmland, New Jersey. That's <laughs> That's a well. I mean, Jersey has some beautiful farmland. It really does, you know. And as I when I was growing up in it, I didn't really like it. Now being older, I really miss that type of area. So yeah, I'm more of like a nature girl than a city person. So it's it's something I've learned to miss. How long have you been away? Oh my gosh. So let's see. I went away to college in, at the College of New Jersey. So I was in Trenton over there. And then I moved to Florida for a year. I also lived in Pennsylvania for a year. And then I went back after I moved from Florida, I have like a whole long journey. And then I moved to Jersey City. I've been here for about seven years. And I think, yeah, seven years now I've been in Jersey City. And I'm hoping in June to move somewhere else that's a little bit more nature infused. But like still close enough to get to the city when I need to. Yeah. Uh, how, um, have you ever considered like doing, going to the West Coast? Just, out of curiosity. I'm so torn on the West Coast. I'm so torn on it. I just, I don't have a pull to go over there. I don't know why. And there's some people who are like, oh, you shouldn't go to California unless you're invited out there. Like I have an older brother who's in California, but he had like a project that pulled him over there. Um, for me, I've just never been particularly drawn to it. I was actually talking to a friend the other day and, or just like a person I usually talk to, um, I've been redefining what friends are this pandemic. That's like a whole nother topic. Uh, <laughs> um, I was thinking about like England, cause I think Europe has some of the best projects too. So I've been very, very torn on this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I like that idea of invitation. Uh, um, it's actually a part of Fractals, where um, he has this voiceover about people being invited to New York as well. Yeah. Because um, when, I, when I first went to L.A., I wasn't invited by anyone, but somebody we knew had set us up with meetings. And we hadn't realized that they were all people who didn't want those meetings uh. until we got there. Um, and then the second time I went, I, I, I had finally – I had been able – to over the course of the years in between network with people who were based out there. And so I'm just like, well, I'm going to go out there and interview these people. Actually, you, you listen to one of the podcasts with uh, Matthew. Yeah. Um, so that was filmed out in Santa Monica uh, as a documentary. And um, by that point, though, I had been invited by these future of film conference to kind of just set up shop at the conference and and it made a, made a world of difference in terms of networking out there. So I, I, I think you're right about the whole invitation thing. 
Yeah. Um, and in New York, I wasn't I wasn't invited. I just moved here, and it took a long. It took many years for me to find the right people to start working with. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a weird thing. To just <laughs> this idea of showing up somewhere. And <laughs> yeah, you have to like really navigate the jungle. You know, yeah. I, when like I always wanted to be an actor, but I never pursued it until my mid twenties. And I literally started from the bottom and you have to navigate through so much bullshit to really start to understand the process and like the people to talk to, which even then, like, I still don't really fully have that, but you start to know what direction you should be going into and like what to avoid and the places to be the, it's a very long process. <laughs> yeah. It's all, I almost feel like, I mean, this is true with all arts where, you kind of have to have somebody approve your entry into it. But yeah. acting is probably the most brutal without question. And I almost feel like it's designed to constantly resist. And if you can resist all of the resistance, then maybe you can get a foot in. And yeah. it's just like, I don't know why it's like that. Uh, it just is what it is. Um, but man, I, is the one reason I never bothered to really hardcore pursue submitting myself to, to places. Um, Cause I, I do have that, the acting bug to some degree. I just don't like the idea of having to submit to being approved that way. Oh, I know that it's a whole nasty process, but it's like you learn, um, I don't know. I, I've learned to not really be phased by it anymore. Um, Cause it's just like, especially like, I went to acting school at Esper studio and like those people really humble you and they like, you know, they're, they're not, I love that school cause they really push you to like take, you know, constructive criticism to be told when you're not on point with something and that's really beneficial. And then you just kind of learn that either you are what somebody's looking for or you're not what they're looking for. And sometimes like you want to pull your hair out because you're like, come on, like I'm dude, I'm a fucking perfect fit. But it's just like, it's just not the way it works. You know, you can be the best actor in the room, but you just, you have blonde hair instead of red hair, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 You just end up Something not being like that. Type. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the funny part is too, is yeah. these supposedly really high, highly creative people can't envision you with that hair. Oh yeah. What do you mean or we could dye the hair? Yeah. 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 And it's just, it's so weird. Um, what, uh, are there things about, so you've been doing this enough now. Mm -hmm. I, I see your earliest credit on IMDb goes back to 2014. Yeah. So yeah. that's, a, that's a good chunk of time to have, have been doing this. Um, is there anything that you couldn't have predicted it? Like, what is it? it what did you think it was going to be like versus what it's like? And it could be positive. It could be negative. It could be both. You know what? So, like, the positive aspect of things, I didn't think I could actually make what I set out to do happen. So, I remember, like, the whole journey that started. I specifically left my career as a case manager. I was working in child welfare case manager, and I said, I want to be in action movies. And, like, <laughs> and I, I was like, this is the direction I need to go into. I feel like I could make more of a difference in the world. And I'm going to do this. And I moved in with my mother, who I hadn't lived with since I was like 16 years old. It was terrible. And I can't tell you how many times I was in a fetal position because I thought, what the fuck am I doing? I have friends who just graduated college. You know, we all graduated college. They're getting married. You know, they're in their settled careers. And here I am moving back in with my mother, 
starting from the ground. And I had this crazy idea of doing action movies and training in martial arts and being an actress and doing this stuff. I didn't actually think I'd fucking be doing that. So I ended up like my journey. I think life is a journey. I really do feel like life is a journey. And I think if you're very open to it, things will happen to you and it will be created. So when I ended up getting to Jersey City, I had some weird ass shit that led me to the school that I currently train at now. Like I literally was teaching a class. I was a substitute teacher and I was reading a book with the kids about Bruce Lee. And at this time I had already looked at different schools. Nothing was like connecting with me. And I was like, God, I can't find the school that I actually want. And these kids had to read a book about who is Bruce Lee. They didn't give two fucks about the book. I'm (laughs) like, guys, we got to read this book. This guy's fucking amazing. Who was, how old were these kids? They were like in, uh, <laughs> like in fifth grade. Hey, these guys are fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I didn't know about this. I was, I mean, I'm a girl. I was raised not in a family that went through this stuff. I had brothers, but they weren't like guys, if that makes sense. Like they weren't the boy boys. I wasn't raised on this stuff. And I'm reading this. And I'm like, holy shit, guys, this guy is amazing. <laughs> and then I ended up looking it up and I found out that there was a school literally two miles from like where I lived. And um, which apparently is very rare to find a good Jeet Kune Do school. I didn't know. I wasn't aware of this shit. So, <laughs> so then that journey led me there. And then all of a sudden, like things start happening. I mean, that, there, obviously there's more to the story of this journey, but I actually sometimes have to take a step back because I remember I had um, a movie came out. I don't know if you saw it. Um, I had a movie come out uh, apart from the rest. It was this really great sci-fi short film. And I mean, it was CGI intense fight scene. I mean, it was really intense work. And it was to this, it has been probably my favorite film at this point because of everything in that film is a culmination of everything I set out to do. And it's fucking weird because I'm like, holy shit, I was in a field position at the age of like 24 years old wondering how the fuck I was going to go from here to there. And I actually did it. So that was that's been part of the journey, I guess. And I'm now completely blanking on your original question of like (laughs) the thing is, is, um, you know, the other parts of things like I didn't expect was like the loneliness. This journey is extremely lonely and I anticipate that. So I've actually, you know, I think that was the hardest part is I'm at a point now I had a very eye opening experience this week where I realized that I really don't have family or friends. And I've accepted this. I made a very like, I guess, detachment to everyone this week where I realized it really is just me. Either there's no one in my life right now that I consider like family or friends. And I think that gave me a lot of peace because I've been trying to hold on to these attachments that were actually really toxic. And I've learned that it really has just been me throughout this whole journey and that I haven't had anyone there. I've been doing this on my own. And it's uh, that's something that this type of stuff doesn't really prepare you for because, um, you know, you're literally doing what everyone else is not doing. Yeah. Literally going in a direction where everybody else is doing the simple you know, they're doing their career. Some find success real early. Some people want to get married. They have the house. They have the kids, which is great. These are all things I definitely want. But because I'm stalling and putting other things first, I don't have those things. So now I can't really relate to people on certain levels. And I don't really relate to all artists because there's a lot of different characteristics I don't fully relate to. So it's just that loneliness was something I was not aware of 
um, and to experience it on such a deep level, um, that was that was a very hard lesson. That was a very hard lesson. And now I'm like actually at peace with it where I'm happy about that lesson. Did yeah, that? I'm go- I feel like went all over the place there. <laughs> no, that was perfect. And okay. honestly, you're you're like, I'm like preach, you know? Uh, <laughs> there's so many people who feel that way. Um, yeah, yeah. My ba- basically like, my last project, this project, and probably my next 10 projects yeah. are going to be rooted in sort of conveying that that's the truth of pursuing anything anything worthwhile to me. Yes. You're going to become lonely because yeah. most people, go they pull the trigger on safety. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard temptation when you to not compare yourself to to doubt yourself when you see everybody you went to school with you know setting up shop differently yeah and it's just um you feel alone but you're not because everybody who's trying to do anything worth a damn Mm -hmm. is going through the same thing right right and um man like everybody i went to school with are married uh i'm not married (laughs) but they're also not working jobs that I would ever want to work. Some are insurance, some are working for a, you know, a construction company. These are all fine professions. If you, if you enjoy them and that definitely society needs them, but I would never do that. I would never want to do that. I want to do something that nobody I grew up with, nobody I knew growing up would ever want to do. And of course I'm doing that at the cost of, not being able to relate to them moving forward. And I, and I learned that hard lesson actually this past year because I've been trying to set up. So 20 years ago, roughly, I made a short film with some of the people back in my hometown because I was still living there at the time. And it was an action movie. And we had, you know, helicopters. We had special effects. We had wow. car, car chases. Um and I just did a 20th anniversary restoration. And the idea was to show the, the restoration 20 years and then also have a sequel that we did 20 years later. But everybody has moved on in such a way that I couldn't get it together. Um, even with this, you know, last year I had resources to, that I was willing to put into it. Uh, and even with that, it just... I don't know. I guess I kind of solidified my life in a way where I could continue being how I was 20 years ago. Everybody else moved on from that. And um, I I, I call it adulting, uh, but I don't know. I don't know what it is. I guess it's just I I realized that all these people I used to relate to, who, who I used to be able to inspire to do creative things, I can't do that anymore. So now it's like, okay, so who, who has decided to pursue this life and has grown into this idea of a life of creativity, a, li- a journey, if you will, yeah. uh, or, or I even call myself a lifelong learner. I love that term. Yeah, um, yeah. I think those are the people who are going to end up coming on board in the future. And unfortunately, it wasn't the people I started with, and that's fine. I mean, time and time again, I hear stories about people uh, having to leave sort of what they knew behind, people being left behind, that sort of, oh, I remember when 
he used to do stuff or they used to do stuff in our town, but now they're long gone and they're long gone because they went and did it on their own. And yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. I think. And that was like the epiphany I had this week is like, you know, I detached from all these relationships because I realized it's time to find my actual tribe because I can't relate to anyone that yeah. I, that once was a friend or is family. I'm like, I need to find people I relate to and who want to do the things that I want to do or, and can have these kind of conversations on this deeper level. Um, because the people I did associate with, I'm like, I can't have that with them. Yeah. And who, res- yeah, who respects, like, I respect what you're saying to me. I get it. I feel it. Yeah. And there, you know, I, there were people who I haven't talked to family members who I haven't talked to in over five years uh, because when I try to convey to them like what I'm going through, they're like, well, why don't you just come back and, you know, go to work at whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, that's not an option. That's not, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> like <laughs> my constant lecture. Um, I had a issue with a family member this week where I just basically like blew up at them. Cause I was like, I'm done. And, uh, <laughs> them is always oh you know you may not be able to have kids one day or five years from now like i'd be like you know there's certain things i'm working towards right now and it's like one of them is about kids and it's like they're literally telling me like my body may not be able to have kids like the most insensitive things you can possibly think of and then they'll proceed to compare me to my siblings and their relationships and then they'll compare me to their best friend's son who met someone in three months and now they're getting engaged and i'm like okay that's fucking wonderful for them but i'm just like that's not i i can't stop everything i'm doing to make you happy for this one thing that i want yeah now you know it's um that's the kind of stuff that gets under my skin too because it's like yeah i don't know if i had it had a kid i would want them to be as successful as they want to be in whatever they want absolutely no matter what and i don't know i just don't I never understood family members that do that, that try to say, hey, this is what you should be doing with your life. Yeah, and that's actually one of the one of the things I had like a profound um, moment in February. Because um, I told you I had sur- surgery last week, this dental surgery. It started in February. Um, and like my whole face blew up and like I had to have a tooth removed. It was like an infection. And also I got like punched in the face from training. But I think it was an infection because I'm not going to excuse I don't really think it was that big of a deal. Um, but it was like a whole thing. And this same family member was lecturing me about my choices, my life. Like at that point, I was going to walk away from acting at that moment. And I was going to move back home with them again and like, you know, reconsider my whole life. And then thank God this fucking pandemic happened. Thank God it happened. Because I mean, and then like, you know, I'm not saying that because like all of these people died. Like that's terrible yeah, right you can't control that um, yeah but i mean at this point this pandemic was the best thing that happened in my life it was exactly what i needed what you said before things just slowed down in the right way but right as the pandemic was about to start i started to realize i'm like i really do love this journey i love who i've become i love everything i've achieved at this moment and i'm still not done with everything i've achieved and and, and it's crazy because then i got and I knew if I moved in with this person, I would be going back to something I proudly walked away from. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just crazy. It really is. So you got you got punched, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it was this was a light tap. Technically, yeah. the already infected. I just I'm terrified of the dentist. I'll be honest with you. Well, so- <laughs> well, what I'm realizing is we haven't talked about the th- the the one thing about you. I mean, I mean, there's a million things about you I want to talk about, but you're a fighter. We yeah. haven't told people that. Yeah, I mean, like, because I haven't really put it out as much anymore, especially, like, again, with this whole pandemic, like, I was paused on training because of the surgery I had to do. I thought I was moving, so I already said goodbye to my seafood at this point. It was, like, really crazy. And then, yeah, so currently, uh, again, I'm in a little bit of recovery, but I'm returning this week. Um, I study Jikundo and Kali, and I do Wing Chun. I just haven't been actively studying it since this pandemic started because virtually we've been doing virtual training. So my main focus has been Jikundo and Kali. But yeah, so I, that's what I train in martial arts. That's my thing. How'd you get into that? Um, oh gosh. So I started with Taekwondo when I was younger. Um, that was like my family kind of pushed that on me. My dad pulled me out. I will always tell this story. My dad pulled me out right before my black belt test because he didn't want his little girl training for her black belt because I guess my brother got his ass kicked during his black belt training competition. So that there's some sexism there for you, my family. Uh. <laughs> I always hold that story over his head to this day when I talk to him. Um, so yeah, when I was a case manager, um, I actually had a, one of my teenagers was raped. And I remember she said to me, she said, I thought I could take them. And I was like, holy shit. You know, that was something I always thought too. I thought if someone attacked me, no problem, I can take them. And when she said that to me, that was like, it kind of had like this deep impact on me, those words. And I thought, wow, where well, I really can't take them. And at that moment, this was also, I was going through a lot in Florida. And if, do you want to hear the whole story? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> This is something like I have a very, I'm very open book with my journey. So I was dating a guy in college. He became a heroin addict while we were dating. It was crazy. We, it was a back and forth relationship. He ended up relapsing, moving to Florida. When I was in college, I was at the end of college when technically we're broken up. I was trying to get into doctorate programs for psychology and I got rejected. We ended up working things out. I moved to Florida to be with him. He was clean. And for this year, I was a child welfare case manager. During this time, you know, that girl said that I had cases blowing up. He ends up relapsing. And at that moment, that's when I was like, you know, I've, I've done everything according to society's plan. I've done the career. I was in that relationship. I've done everything correct. I'm not making a difference here. And I want to be like a leader. And that's what drove me to being an actor but more importantly is I wanted to be an inspiration because um, whoever I was on screen, I wanted to make sure that's also who I was off screen. I didn't want to just put on a facade. I wanted to make sure that if I was going to present a strong person, that is who I become. Um, so it became very important to me to actually be an action person. So I wanted to train in martial arts. I wanted to develop myself physically, mentally, and emotionally for that. So that's actually what pushed me into the whole martial arts and everything. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it was a very, and so that's why like this journey is so, so important because it was just, it holds so much meaning why I'm here and why I've done exactly what I've done. Yeah. I, uh, I saw that on your website, you're, you're branded, you brand yourself with the journey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, did. And I really, I really love that. 
Yeah, I had a whole vlog on it and I stopped doing the vlog because I really wanted to teach other people how to do this journey. Um, and I have to find a way to bring that back out there. That's actually what I'm doing right now is I'm getting skills. Yeah, <laughs> podcast. Start a podcast. Yeah. They're, they're fun. Debating. They're, they're really fun. Yeah, I find them very educational and interesting to listen to, especially while you're riding a train or something. So that's something I might have to do. Yeah, I um, I'd, I'd been wanting to start one, and I actually had done, I started one off and on over the past few years, but it was really during the pandemic that yeah. I invested in it. Uh, and um, I actually, I'd say if that's that's what you want to do, that's the best medium for it at this point because people can easily digest them. Most people don't like reading, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Um, and. Um, they're also just like you do them, put them up, and then you can spend the rest of your day doing whatever you want, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I also just like love the idea that the ultimate business goal is action. Yeah. Like, I, I, I never met anybody in the New York actors scene who were interested in just going after action movies. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely developed over time because, you know, I, I've become more in love with the acting and the fight scenes have become more of like a, you know, like it's part of that, that's what I want, but I also have become more interested in showing more acting range. But originally, yeah, the main end goal is I want to do action films. And I've done some action films and now I'm like, now I want to expand. Because um, I know I talked to you about that, you know, action films yeah. become very... Ridiculous. I have one for you. I, I've... Hold on. I'm, just, I'm not. After we're done, we'll stay on and I'll tell you about it. But okay, I, I love I, it. I do have. Um, I do have one here. I've been working on it since we talked. Awesome. It's 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 badass too. Oh, I'm, yeah. I, I trust you on that. <laughs> okay. After after we're done with this episode, we'll stay on. And I'll tell you about it. All right. Excellent. I, I like. That. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's like action was always like the end point. But now that I've, I've been exposed to so much with acting, I'm like, oh, you know what? I also really want to do some of these kind of roles and this kind of role. But action always has been like very important to me. Yeah, it's, um, well, going back to the thing about now I want to do this, this. Once you yeah. feed, feed the bug, it, it, it nests, you know, <laughs> it nests in the brain. <laughs> like, oh, I can do this. I can do that. Like I've like, you know, I've seen, um, I'm obsessed with Helena Bonham Carter. I think she's wonderful. And some of the things she does, she plays crazy so well. And I'm like, holy shit, I would love to do a role like her, you know, yeah. or something intense and interesting. Cause I'm just like, wow, now, now we can do stuff like this. Her, my two favorite roles of hers, obviously okay. fight club. Uh, but when she played, I don't know. Do you watch Doctor Who? I have not seen Doctor Who. You can. Um, she so Doctor Who has this um, this old blue police box from like London. I don't know what era of London they use these police boxes, but that's his time machine. That's his spaceship. Um, all it does is disappear and reappear wherever he wants, whenever he wants. Um, and at some point, many, many seasons later, he, we learn that the machine is sentient and that it's totally head over heels in love with him. And that sentience 
sort of becomes portrayed by Helena Bonham Carter. And it's the best version of Helena crazy you could possibly wish for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it helps to watch a few episodes of it. Um, I'm not saying you got to blow through all the seasons because the, the show dates back to the sixties, but it's still current. Uh, but if you, if you familiarize yourself with some of the various people who've played the doctor and, and sort of the weird vibe of it, and then eventually when you get to this episode, which was, I think this was, this episode is written by Neil Gaiman. Uh, it, you just like, Oh, it makes perfect sense that she is his time machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's, I keep hearing good things about Doctor Who and I just never like watched it, but I'll check it out because she does some amazing stuff. Um, like one of, of course, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Like I love her as Beatrix Lestrange. Like just what she does, when she moves her body and like delivers her lines. Just very like, oh, she's so fascinating. <laughs> yeah, she's very, very aware of her stage, her lens, her um, just kind of how her presence is interacting with the scenery and yeah. how she's capable of moving in a way where it almost manipulates other actors to move. And up and almost like clearing the way in opposition of her. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. It makes you uncomfortable. I mean, isn't that the beauty of acting? I think that's what I learned about Esper Studio is um, when I started there is they made me really aware that just to push things and to create a reaction in people or to do things that causes it causes something. It's just so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so you you've. You've gone through studio program or acting program. Yeah. Uh, how'd you find it? How'd you settle on it? What's it like? Uh, oh, gosh. Okay, that's another story. <laughs> and I feel bad. We're talking a lot about me. We're going to have to talk about you, too. We could go back and forth. I, I just, uh, I, I think that, I think there are people out there who know that there's something off about their life. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is something they're considering. Maybe this is something for them. Yeah. I want to introduce them to people who might inspire them to yeah. pull the trigger on a life change that would be positive for them. And so yeah. the idea is to unpack these stories. That's all. Okay, um, awesome. No, I appreciate it. Use I would... everybody's story as an example. Of, I love hey, it. I love happened. it. Yeah. This is so, yeah, it's so wonderful. I've been looking forward to this. So I was really happy we got to meet up today. Um, so yeah, uh, for Esper Studio, what happened was, and this is why I've kind of walked away from so much weight being put onto action films is, you know, I was focusing a lot on my training and all those type of things. And I had something, again, something personal happen. It's always something personal happens, some sort of traumatic experience that makes you kind of like wake up and says, I need direction. And something like that happened one summer. And I realized I needed to put more weight towards my acting. Um, because this really, at the end of the day, I wanted to make a career out of acting, not martial arts. I wanted martial arts to be sprinkled in there, but into acting. So I started looking for, um, schools and, you know, I remember I auditioned for one. I, I was still having a hard time. And then what happened was, is I came across Esper Studio. I didn't really know much about it. 
And I mean, it turns out to be a really great school. I was very lucky. Um, and for their process, you had to like fill an application, write an, like a small little essay and read this book. Um, this book was probably like over 200 pages on, you know, the school and like their first year of learning at the school. And so I then get called in for an interview and I lied on my application that I read the book. They're like, oh, did you read this book? And I was like, yeah, I did. Um, so <laughs> so uh, I find out then I'm like, oh, yeah, we can see you, you know, tomorrow for the interview. I was like, oh, fuck. So <laughs> I didn't read the book. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to do. I literally read and I couldn't obviously go to a store and buy the book. I needed to buy it right there. So I bought it online um, on the screen and I'm reading the book. For in one whole day, I managed to read this book. This over 200-page book. I mean, I was literally—if you've ever stared at a computer screen that long—you're not seeing straight. So for two days, I was seeing dots, screen dots. Um, <laughs> and I read this book. I go to the interview, and the guy who's interviewing me is late. He's a really talented guy. He's actually in the show uh, Rami, that you know won awards and everything. Uh, really great dude. And um, it was funny is that he says, "Oh, my name's Lathe. How you doing?" And I was like, "Lathe." you're in the book. I was like, oh, he's like, I was like, wait, I know who you are. He's like, I was, like, I thought you were old. Cause you know, this guy was in the book. He's like, yeah, no, I don't look like the person in the book. He was like, that's how I know you read the book. We never talked about the fucking book after that. Like <laughs> it was only because I recognized his name in the book. That's how he knew I read the book. And so anyway, we talked <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, I, I'm literally going cross-eyed because I was staring at a computer screen for this book, panicking that there was a test <laughs> on this process. And that's all you needed to know was that your name was there. Um, so yeah, for, like that was a really easy process. They knew I was into martial arts. Um, they told me about this woman who's on the show Vikings. I can't remember her name. She went to Hesper Studio. Um, and she had to really prove herself because she mainly came in as like this beautiful woman with this martial arts background. She, she had to prove herself as an actor. So that was like a really cool thing. I was like, cool, I'm coming into there, you know, um, not really being like an actor person. I'm coming in a background. And um, I mean, this, this school really, uh, I mean, it literally tore me upside down and twisted me around and everything. It was a very intense acting program. I did it for two years. Um, all I could afford was the acting. I couldn't afford movement. I couldn't afford um, any of the other classes. Um, and it was a very intense process, like learning how to just completely like emotionally vomit the first year on these extreme levels, which to me gave me the greatest freedom I had never knew I could experience. I didn't know how to release all these things. I didn't know how to go. And I just like, I had a great teacher both years really, but my first teacher, he literally reminded me of Al Pacino, this guy, John uh, Fry, I'm hoping I'm saying his name right. Um, but he reminded me of Al Pacino. He was so damn cool. Uh, I was so grateful to have him. And he really let us just like, you know, go all out, go extreme, you know, do it. That was the whole purpose is to really release all those emotions with these different activities. And I said, I'm going to come up with some of the craziest fucking things to put in this classroom. And I did, I came up with some crazy fucking ideas. Um, and it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. The second year was very hard for me though. The second year, um, I had another great teacher, David Neuer. And, um, 
I had to learn a lot. It was a very humbling experience. And I learned a lot from that teacher as well, like how to pull things back in. Now that you've released everything, how do we pull things back in? How do we relate to people? How do we, you know, um, just live through the moments and the journey? And wow, I mean, I walked away there from being just a completely new person and having this deep appreciation for acting that I didn't know actually existed. Um, and that's why now I, I've expanded my views beyond um, just martial arts because I'm like, wow, there's roles that I really want to play now that I realize I can play. And it was cool. It's very cool. When when you start out in one of these, I see, you know, obviously I see a lot of actor resumes and I see that everybody's yeah. been through some kind of studio program. Yeah. What happens like on day one? Day you go one. in, you go into the studio You've never been at something like this before, right? What's happening? What kind of room are you in? What kind of people are there? Oh, gosh, you always have different people, right? <laughs> paint, paint the picture. Paint the picture. Um, so you've got people. I'm just going to be honest. I mean, I've been to different types of places. This one was the most intense one. And they, you've got people who are very... I say this nicely because I'm not going to wide range of people, right? Um, you've got people who think they know better. You've got people who are going to worship everything that's said. You've got people who are addicted to going to school and who don't actually do application. And then, of course, you always got a great model in there who thinks that they're God's gift to the world. So those are always the fun people that I can't stand. <laughs> so let's go to the back to, let's go to um, one back. Uh, the people who are addicted to school, but yeah, that's don't a big apply one. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, so I, I, that's the person I've, I seem to run into a lot and <laughs> who uh, time and time again, I find these really, some of them are really talented. Yeah. But they can't stop taking classes and actually go to work. Yeah. And I, it pains me because there are so many people I want to work with all and time and time again it's um I'm enrolled in this, don't have time. I'm enrolled in this, I don't have time. And and at what point are they not going to enroll and actually start doing films or plays or uh it, it's so weird that that's it, it's almost like a life of just going to acting class. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you see this in real life, too. How many people just go back for their master's, go for their doctorate, go for another master's, go for certificates, but they're not, like, actually doing anything. School just becomes a safety zone. And I definitely see this a lot where, I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of people, if not almost all the people I went to school with, I have not seen them post anything about films, auditions, nothing. Yeah. Me and like one other person, she was an older woman. We're the only ones who have actually done stuff. And that's why like I had the hardest time being in school at sometimes, especially my second year, because I knew I was going to school with people who haven't had experience. And some of them were actually a lot younger than me. They're like using this as a replacement for college. Um, and I had more experience and I'm not knocking anybody. It's just that I knew like I've literally been on set. I know what set is like. So it always like cracked me up that these kids would show up either hungover, they would show up late, they would show up like like not giving a fuck, and I, or they'd be super serious about 
following to T what the teacher's saying, but I'm like, yeah, no, that's not going to really work in like the actual setting of being on film, being on TV. Like this is, this is not realistic. Like they'll complain about certain expectations. And I'm like, yeah, you get to set, you're going to be on set for 12 hours, buddy. Like it's not going to be this easy, you know? (laughs) Well, expectations has been one of my main um, sort of filters now because I used to run into so many people who, you know, they did a lot of indie films, but they've never really done the professional work. They sort of say, oh, I'm a professional. I've been doing this long enough. What I do now is I try to look at for what their expectations are. So one of the interesting things, for example, is, um, you know, on a typical professional film set, it takes up to three months to get paid. Uh, that's yeah. like the, almost the minimum um, for a union project. And basically, if they start complaining because they haven't been paid that day or that week, I'm like, oh, so you're not really, you don't know like that this is not like usually when, when I am in a position where I can pay some of my actors, cause I am a micro budget. It depends on the project, but um, it's usually two weeks or it's usually like the day I wrap because I'm the one that's also running human resources. Uh, but like, it's basically like if you expect, if an actor expects it that day, then they don't have as much experience as they are touting that they have. Um, and that's sort of my big, that's red flag number one, but I think it really does come down to expectations. Um, I was, I was watching this, uh, behind the scenes documentary about that movie, the King of Staten Island. Uh, have you seen the trailer for that? It's with, um, I forget his name, this guy from SNL. Uh, and it's a comedy by Judd Apatow and, um, the main actor's uncle was in it as like a side character. And that was Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi's in it. Yeah. yeah he plays a fireman. Pete something, right? That, that's, that Pete, who dated Pete like, Davidson. Yeah. That's his name. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have, I have so seen this. Yeah. I guess Pete Davidson's uncle or grandfather or somebody is in it. And he didn't get paid for literally three months. And he was so kind. The story is he was kind of, weirded out by it and he goes well jobs are jobs and you just get paid when you do the job and he's like that's not how the administrative aspects of film work and i and i thought that's a great example of um that i probably am going to use moving forward where like i almost want to test people like all right administratively how long has it taken for your various projects to pay you and then see what people come up with and are they just coming up going to come up with um their wish they're sort of well i wish i could get paid the day of or are they going to come up with real realistic scenarios and uh because i i do run into a lot of people who just haven't worked enough i guess to to understand that that aspect of filmmaking is administratively really complex and it takes a long time to get anything yeah yeah, I haven't worked on a project big enough where it's been like three months. I think the most I've waited was just like a couple of weeks or something. Yeah, that's what I usually try for. Um, if not a couple of weeks, then the literally the day after wrap. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I don't like I don't like the feeling of having stuff left over to do before yeah. I start the edit. Um, but yeah, it's uh. It, 
I was blown away that even in a big production like the King of Staten Island, they still have those issues with people. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's the other thing too, is um, there's also the flip side of things, you know, especially when you're starting out, having this major, major like expectation that you're only able to do paid projects. And like if you're first starting, <laughs> I see that a lot where I'm just like, hmm, okay. Like now, like I know for me, I'm in a position where unless the project is extremely unique or it's something I haven't done before, um, like with you, when we reached out, it was during a pandemic. I want to fucking act and I know your shit was good. So I was like, yes, let's work together. I don't care if I'm getting paid, if I'm not getting paid, I just want to do something, you know, but like, that was wonderful when we were talking to each other and I appreciated that production. Um, but I hooked you up anyway. Oh yeah, you did, which was amazing, but yeah. I had your expectations. Well, what I did was, um, what I, but what I'm trying to do is, um, yeah. have them come in with a lower set of expectations than I can get. Yeah, them. yeah. <laughs> Which that even works too. But I mean, especially if you're starting out though, you shouldn't expect to get paid. You yeah. kind of have to do the dirty work. And I think um, a lot of people, I was listening to, I listened to Conan O'Brien, um, his podcast. I, I love his podcast. And they talk with these comedians who have to pay for their set when they first started out, who have to, um, you know, they have to put up a feed because they're not getting paid when they're first starting out their careers. And I think it's the same thing understand is that when you're first starting out your career in these arts you're not going to get paid you have to do these shitty kind of quality projects you kind of have to put this reel together you kind of have to almost prove yourself to start getting paid um and there's a lot of entitlement that is not yet like you kind of have to just earn it and people don't really understand that part when they start out especially like the young ones or, you know, those people that you go to school with or you're in those training sessions with them, I think they're going to get handed money. Mm. No. <laughs> yeah, there's a, that's a problem on the crew side, too. Oh, yeah. People just came out of film school, zero experience whatsoever. Maybe they made a film in film school. Maybe they made a short video when they were in high school. Never served some another creative, right? And so they haven't been trained to to make a movie that way, to make a movie where you're not making the, all the decisions here. It's so weird to me. That's the, the the ego. I don't know where it comes from either. Yeah, yeah, and I, I feel like I see a lot on Facebook, like those Facebook groups. I joined some with like the film and like acting and so many people give such an attitude when there's no money being offered. And I'm like, you're literally like in an indie film group. Like, yeah, you can't expect that. You know, if you're looking to build your reel, you kind of have to take that. You know, it's, it's interesting too, because some of the, what I consider to be the best independent films, the best art house films came from people who just did it for the sake of it. Um, like time and time again, I'd meet some of these older filmmakers. By older, I mean five years or older, five years older than me or above. Yeah. Where like, you know, they they knew a director of photography who had his own sixteen millimeter camera rig, and he used his camera rig for professional stuff on Monday through Friday, and on weekends would loan it out to his neighbor filmmakers so they could make their movies. Mm -hmm. Now it's um, you expect to be able to rent it. You expect to have it rented. Um, and I, I, I almost, I, I feel like we could 
like as saturated as the indie film market is, we could actually have better projects out there if we kind of went back to this whole for the sake of it thing, because it, it is really like, I, I don't know where this new mentality is rooted. I think it might just be parents pressuring their kids to make money at it or don't do it. Um, and that's a whole other conversation, but like, I don't know. It's just, it's unreal. It, it, it is pretty unrealistic to think that a micro budget out of pocket film is going to be able to pay everyone a living wage. Yeah. I just, as, as much as it pains me to say that that's the reality. And, um, I wish it wasn't like, I'm, I'm, I'm I've said it on this podcast before. Like if I had the financing, I'd probably be the most irresponsible business owner in terms of, just giving everybody the best benefits, the best pay. (laughs) It's just, you know, in America, the funding isn't there. And um, I think that if we're going to keep doing projects, we have to find ways to do them so that we have to find other benefits to be able to rationalize doing them. I mean, think about like some of the big blockbuster movies that they know are going to make millions of dollars still have a hard time finding American financing for it. That's why you see all those logos. Like I was watching um, a movie yesterday where it had like 10 studio logos because they had to like scrap together all of these, all of this money just to have a properly quote unquote, properly financed production, what they consider to be proper. Uh, And uh, yeah. So I, I I think from uh, an indie film standpoint, I think there needs to be a reckoning. Uh, and of course, I, I think that that, was, that reckoning has been coming for a while. Um, back in 2013, one of the big, most shared videos on YouTube between film crews was basically this, this video called um, something about Craigslist producers. No pay. Uh, and it was this montage of these, these actors um, portraying various what they consider to be craigslist producers um where they're asking for all of these various things that filmmakers might ask for and at at the end of each one they'd be like no pay so i need a dp with with a camera no pay or i need an actor who could do this this and this and is trained in this studio right here no pay (laughs) and that was one of the most shared videos and i understand why it's funny but i also think that that stuff like that um kind of paints the wrong picture about the reality of things yeah that's why like for certain things like especially now with like anything that requires stunts fighting it it has to have pay because if you can't have a budget then i question also how the safe how a safety environment will be you know Um, or if it's even worth the time yeah it's if it's not will the film get finished yeah exactly i mean I i remember when i first started out I mean, there was an indie project I did that was really dangerous, did not get paid, never saw the final product. And how, how was it dangerous? Um, so <laughs> the guy who wrote it was like a foreign Tom Cruise. So he was probably about four feet, wanted to come off as like a Tom Cruise badass action hero. Um, very sexist, told me that girls should fight in heels because it's sexy. 
but again, if I wear my heels, I'd be towering over him. Um, so he had zero training whatsoever. And we were doing a fight scene and he literally picked up a real pipe that was made out of metal. And I kind of got hit in the head, like lightly, but then I had to be like, no, we're done. So, um, so it was very dangerous. He, it was, um, non-trained you know person claimed to be a martial artist which you'll come across a lot with this type of stuff people claim to be like they're action heroes and everything they're very fake they have no training whatsoever um and they do stupid shit like that where it can literally cause an injury um and they stopped him but yeah i have an interesting story for you it's not it's not my story but there's this uh horror filmmaker named lloyd kaufman he i I, he did like all those trump trauma film trauma films um like uh i actually don't know the titles of any because i don't care about these kinds of movies but um he will occasionally go on to indie films from people just starting out and uh his his big stick is horror and he was filming with some of these people who had real um animal guts instead of fake guts and real blood instead of, you know, corn syrup, which is what, usually what you would use. Yeah. And he, he finished, like a sport, he finished the movie, but then he did a vlog about it. He goes, this is not the proper way to make a movie. You don't go to the store and buy raw guts. You don't use real animal hearts. You don't use real blood. This is disgusting. It's unsanitary. Yeah. And he, But he bought the film from them anyway and distributed it. But it's just, it, I, I appreciated that he used it as sort of, almost like a PSA on what not to do. Yeah. No, I have another story for you. Um, <laughs> this, is like, because you this is the thing is that, and this is when I talk about negotiating the bullshit in the beginning of the journey is you begin to find out immediately, this is a waste of my time or this is a good project uh, project for me. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Um, and sometimes this is why you have to make your mistakes and do those no pay films. Cause you're going to learn a lot from these no pay films. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this one time I was supposed to do a film with this uh, guy um, and it was the most chaotic rehearsal we've ever had. I mean, it was the guy's birthday. Thankfully, this thing got fucking scrapped. It was so dangerous what was going on or just crazy. He shows up drunk to the rehearsal. That was number one. Number two, a guy comes in. He says, hey, uh, Johnny, I don't remember his name. You haven't paid yet for this place. And he's like, I'm going to get you. No, you need to pay now. So it was like a whole really like mafia situation was happening during the rehearsal. So he had to go up and pay the guy. And then he proceeds to tell us that our characters had to be drunk while filming, meaning we had to actually get drunk on set. And I'm like, yeah, nah, that's not happening. So if that's like, that's so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and then I can't believe it actually fell apart. Like big fucking shocker. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> like we already knew this was going downhill. I remember talking to one of the actresses and we're like, I don't, this doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> that reminds me of like the, um, I'm reminded now of this production from a few years ago. I don't know. Do you remember when the Almond Brothers film was made the news because, um, well, we, we have a dream sequence where we have to put a bed on a, on a set of railroad tracks. So we're going to put them on a live yes. railroad tracks. Jesus and they, they set the bed up on live railroad tracks. And lo and behold, somebody got killed. And it's just like, 
you yeah, know, you, you know the idea truth. of uh, imagination land is that it's imaginary, it's fake, it's pretend. We're just making like it's like it's real, but we're we're really just making pretend. And you you know, a good actor knows how to be drunk without being drunk, right? Yeah, a um, good actor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's just, I don't know. It's I guess some people just haven't figured out that movies are pretend. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people. I mean, even audience members don't realize that movies are pretend. I mean, that's like, that's a whole nother issue. Um, yeah, actually, you know what's, um, case in point is I some years back, I made a video for my sister in our hometown. I went back mm-hmm. and um, she wanted to do like a lip sync musical of, of her and her dance troupe running around town. And at one point, we came across a sign that said, all dogs must be leashed. So we did a scene where they unleashed the dog and let her go. <laughs> and somebody went nuts in the audience. They're like, that dog could be killed. It could have been run over. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you do realize we had somebody right off camera catching the dog. Like, we yeah, didn't yeah. actually let the dog run around town loose. But people don't, they don't get it. Even something yeah. like that was pretend. Yeah. Now, now, a lot of people are very, I don't want to say stupid, but, you know, kind of stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they lack the critical thinking skills. Yeah. Really like, do. I remember some people were, like, hating on, I mean, have you seen the movie Precious? I haven't. Okay. It's a very intense movie. I think it's a great story, uh, and I'm glad it was created. And the person who plays the mom, who I can't remember this actress's name right now, she's abusive. And um, I remember I've been obsessed uh, a few months ago with reading Facebook comments just because I find them entertaining and very insightful of how opposite, like you can do something and people will either hate you or they'll love you. And it's fun to kind of watch that now. Um, now I don't really watch it cause I don't care anymore. Um, but I remember someone saying like, Oh my God, how could she play a role like that? And blah, blah, blah. Like they're disgusted by people. And I'm like, no, these are, these are actors. This is what they do. They be somebody, they're going to be someone that they're actually not. They're, they're, this is their career. doesn't mean this is who they are. This is an important character that tells an amazing story. But people don't have the understanding of that. I actually have two, two, two really good examples uh, of that happening. So <laughs> the first one was when I, when I was in high school, might have been even middle school, uh, whenever Forrest Gump came out uh, on home video, the one of my teachers was like and and the, this was really great actor who doesn't have any legs i'm like gary sinise has legs he's they, they use special effects to remove his legs like what and they and they seem so betrayed by the fact that gary sinise had legs <laughs> you know and I, and i was explaining to her like these are special like i'm a kid talking to a teacher yeah. And I didn't even know about that much about filmmaking, but I knew that like they had, I'd seen footage of them. You know the, the footage news. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah where yeah. they wrap his legs in a green screen or some kind, and then they swing yeah. it through a hole in the port of the boat, and then digitally put in the the rest of the boat later. And I'm like, that's all pretend. That's all special effects. And then later down the road, I was listening to a commentary for the movie Ghostbusters, and they were talking about how this guy who played the EPA guy who shut down the Ghostbusters facility and caused the release of all the ghosts, it would often be ridiculed in public because people didn't understand that he's not actually a bad guy. He's just really good at playing a bad guy. He's yeah. so good at playing a prick that in real life, people treat him like a prick. Oh like, 
It's just and and he said that he he couldn't he couldn't shake it. He just could never shake it. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, um, do you know the bicycle Peloton or that stationary bike? The what the woman in that commercial? Yeah, did you hear about that story with the act? Yeah, she ended up on Ryan Ryan Reynolds. Uh, is it Ryan Reynolds? Uh, was it? Re- she ended up in another commercial because of it. She ended up not in the commercial. Well, she was in the Peloton commercial. Who's the guy who did Deadpool? Is that Ryan Reynolds? That's Ryan Reynolds, yeah. Yeah, so he ended up bringing her onto like his liquor commercial. So like, because she got so much shit for the Peloton commercial that he's like, well, why don't you be in my, I think he does like, I don't know if it's whiskey or what liquor he, he sells, but he he's like, why don't you be in my next commercial for this liquor product be and be drinking because of all the shit that you got. And so they made a scene out of it. And so she ended, she ended up kind of. I didn't know that. See, I heard the story that the male actor was torn apart for fat shaming the wife in the commercial. I, I believe that, but I she, heard that she ended up like worked for the company came to one of my jobs and told us that story, and I was like, "What?" Like, and he had to explain to people, like, "I'm an actor. Like, please stop." <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I, I believe that actually. I never heard of that, but I heard that like. The woman was also getting some flack for doing the commercial, and then she ended up, and then Ryan ended up uh, inviting her to be part of sort of a we'll call it a whiskey commercial just for the sake of the conversation, to promote this this drink, and um, so they created this scene where her and her friends are just like out of it; they couldn't stand all the press, you know. I mean, that's the vibe of the commercial. I just thought that was really clever. I love it. That's I'm gonna have to look that up. That sounds really clever. (laughs) I love. He's a great guy. I love like stories about him. Love watching how he is with his wife and uh, Hugh Jackman on Instagram. <laughs> He's got a good sense of how to use his public persona. He, he really does. Yeah, that's a great actor. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's, it's people. I don't know. People don't have the capacity fully to understand what art is. They just don't. I feel like it's gotten yeah. worse over the years. Yeah, I found too when I was in my MFA program, and even in my undergrad, because I studied creative writing in both my undergrad and my MFA. People who I thought were really understood the creative process and understood that fiction is fiction, kept attributing what they read to the author. So, oh, this author is clearly depressed. No. The story is about depression. It's the characters. Yeah. Just because it's in first person doesn't mean it's the first person of the author. Like, right, right. And, um, and these are people who I 100% thought would knew better. It just didn't. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I guess you just that's going to be the problem. I mean, it's not, I don't consider it a big problem, but it's just going to be part of the reality of creation. It's just, you're going to run into people like that. Yeah, it's true. You're just going to, there's some people who are just not going to fully understand a project's meaning or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Way of the journey. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, You have any questions? Do you have any anything you want to want to discuss? No. 
What do you want the world to know about you? What do I want the world to know about me? Yeah. What do you What do you not want them to know? (laughs) (laughs) What should we not tell them? Yeah. (laughs) I don't. I don't know. I'm a nice person. I don't know. Uh, I like pizza. Uh, (laughs) What do I want the world? I don't. I don't know. I think at this point. I think I'm just still developing things and I feel like there's nothing really to share. I think I'm at this point now in life where it's just like, Oh, just wait and see. I want to see you start a podcast. You want to see, I don't know. I would totally subscribe to that. Yeah. Thank you. You'd be my one subscriber. So no, no, you'd be surprised. I, I think the motivation sector is probably the more profitable in terms of podcasts. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's the people I'm mostly networked with and that's, you know, I had a author Amy Morin on last week, and she wrote oh, yeah, the, the book, the yeah, Thirteen out. Things series. And honestly, like the moment it went live, I just had all these motivational personalities connecting with me. Wow! So that may, might be a good way to kind of finance your endeavors. That's a good idea because, like, I really enjoyed doing my vlog, but I didn't enjoy the camera process. Because I'm someone I want to talk. I don't want to have to worry about recording. I don't want to have to worry about lighting. I finally just got a better setup, but I just I, I can, don't really doing yeah, that. Yeah, I, I same here. Like I started this on YouTube and I just got rid of it straight away. I'm like, yeah. I don't like camera. We're using camera now just because it's easier to talk on camera, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we're not going to end up with camera footage. Right, of course. Uh, but... um. Yeah, I, I mean, I could tell you exactly what to get, uh, and I could give you a list of minimum equipment to make this work for you. And uh, it's, it, it's so, so doable, be- it's so accessible. Yeah, that would be a really great idea because one of my goals right now is I'm in the process, especially just taking advantage of this pandemic. Is one of my things is I really want to also service and a business. Not only do I want to act, but I also want to create my own sources of income. I, yeah. I like working for other people. It's not my thing. And I always want to make sure I have business that's not just acting. Yeah. My whole background is psychology. And I'm currently working as an ABA therapist. And I always really wanted to like help people develop and everything. So I'm also studying to get like certificate for you know behavioral techniques. And then I kind of have this plan going, but eventually my goal is to start a service, but I also want to create content. So a podcast actually might be very beneficial. Yeah. And you know, one of my biggest philosophies when it concerns income is to have it from a multitude of places, from a multitude of businesses and people. I agree. Because, and that's honestly a philosophy I adopted from a multimillionaire I used to work with who also has a podcast, but he also has an investment company. He also owns a bunch of companies and it's just like, okay, so he's clearly somebody who knows what he's doing. And so I adopted that for myself. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely 100% support you doing that and would totally love to advise you on how to get that moving. Um, even if you like, you don't have guests straight away or if you don't want guests, like, there's ways to do them where you're just kind of talking to, it's almost like a radio DJ. You're just talking to whoever's out there tuning in. I kind of like that more than the vlog. That's great. Yeah. Vlogs. I don't I think of vlogs and I think of like some 
teenage YouTuber, like, and so I got this from the mall, and I'm putting yeah, it on my eyelashes. I'm one of those people that when I start seeing other people doing things that I've already started doing, I immediately lose interest in it, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. Um, like, I started doing my vlogs, and, like, I would have talks with people, and the next thing I know, they're creating posts and, like, motivational stuff. And I and I and sometimes I've even seen people, like, not, like, use my own words, but they're heading in the direction of things that they've complimented me on, and now they're doing it. And I'm just, like, like I, I know I'm not going to take credit, but I'm just saying, well, now I don't want to do it because now look at it like this. I don't want to do it. I've lost interest, and I don't like doing what everyone else is doing. I want to do my own thing. And that's uh, – you can look into that and, like, psychoanalyze that, but it's <laughs> – <laughs> well, I think maybe you see them doing it too well or maybe too badly. I, and then I'm it's just seeing, like, uh, how yeah. am I coming off? I don't know. That's, yeah, that's that, kind of that, what happens with me. I was like, how, how, is, how am I coming off? That's exactly what it is. It's like, I don't want to be doing it like that. That's not, that's not the method. And see, like, that's, that's why I think podcasting works. You, one, yeah. you don't have to see yourself yeah. if, you, if you don't want to do video. And two, once you put it out there, you're not going to listen to it. And yeah, you don't need yeah. to listen to it. Like it's done. It's it's yeah. in the world, and you can, like I, you know, sometimes I listen to them after the fact if it's like a big one. Most of the time, I just put them out there and I go do dishes. Yeah, know? no, that and that's fine. I think because my problem is when I see the vlog, it's like, oh, I should have the camera angle like this. I should have the lighting like that. Like those are the details I do look at. And then I obsess over, not obsessed, but I just get frustrated with. And I'm like, oh, I have to reach. And I live in a very small studio. So it's uh, it's definitely one of my things. So I think the podcast actually does sound like a great idea. That sounds more in alignment with the things I'm doing right now and where I'm heading. Yeah, I feel like that too, just based on yeah. some of your posts. Yeah, um, yeah. Cool. So I'd like to see that move forward. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I'll definitely take your advice. Because I, I even with the podcast that I listened to that you've done already, I'm like, wow, that's some really interesting stuff that you've said, you know, with like creating a business and other things. And I do agree, you should have multiple sources of income. It should not be one source. It really? Yeah, one be. source is sort of the recipe for disaster when something like a pandemic happens. Um, yeah. Honestly, like we're on sort of one of the things that I'm interested in this podcast is being really straightforward and honest about my life and stuff. And so I've said before, like we started out fine and we were fine for most of the pandemic. Uh, and only because we had a multitude of income sources. Yeah. And since, you know, we're now at a point where those are drying up. Right. And so we got a lot further than a lot of families and a lot of those families really just, you know, they were people who were employed and they depended on that one employer. And yeah. whenever every era of my life, which is mostly uh, high school through my 30s, uh, my early 30s, I was dependent on one source of income and I was always poor. I was always barely making ends meet. I was yeah, always yeah. in debt. And as soon as I started pulling money from a multitude of places at the same time, and that can be whatever people can think of. Like, there's no solid answer for any individual person. It's it's going to be different. And so things started working out a little bit more. I was able to put a little bit more into my projects. I was able to put more into sort of building our life in this apartment. Um, I even put up my first decorations a few years ago, which were comic books. They were encapsulated comic books, which <laughs> one of them is... Uh, 
a Raphael number one when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, their original comic book run from the 1980s. I got the first, I got an original Raphael number one when they introduced this character, Casey Jones, and it's signed by Kevin Eastman, and he doodled the Ninja Turtle face on it. And uh, it's encapsulated and rated. And I'm like, that's going to be my first decoration when I can finally afford decorations. And it was. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Those are the stories I definitely want to pick your brain about because I know I'm in that part now where I'm ready to start expanding and creating my own services. And that's, I'm kind of at this point where I'm gathering these final skills. Yeah, I want to head in that direction, um, but I definitely will have to pick your brain because it's definitely. like, you know, well, I'm, I'm available. And honestly, like, I love the idea of being able to like sort of be a point. One of hopefully will be many point persons for somebody starting up something that will help others down the road. Yeah, 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 cool. See, and like, how would you learn this? Have you not gone on this journey and yeah. made mistakes and get your ass handed to you? And then how you've managed to explode into like these different avenues, isn't that? You know, I, I wouldn't trust anybody <laughs> who hasn't had their ass handed to them at any point in their journey. Exactly. You have to exactly. be defeated for me to respect you. And this is exactly why, again, like at this point, circling back to the beginning of our conversation, which is amazing, um, why I have no longer been able to relate to people because I'm like, I haven't really seen you gone through much. I haven't seen you get your ass handed to you. Well, most people just like they avoid it. They avoid the conflict. Yeah. You know, that was one of the things that um, I learned about in my undergrad. I was a member of the Student Leadership Institute at the State University of New York. And the big, it was all rooted in conflict resolution because they understood that if you're going to do anything worth a damn, you're going to have to be in conflict and you're going to have to learn to deal with it. And for the most part, people would just rather avoid conflict. And that amounts to, unfortunately, a very boring, unproductive life. Yeah. It just is what it is. Yeah. It's true. Do you, do you, um, so you listen to podcasts? I do, yeah. What do you listen to? Mainly right now, I'm going through a Conan O'Brien phase. Um, I just started downloading investing ones, like investing for dummies kind of thing. Because <laughs> so I want to expand more in making investments. Uh, but yeah, I'm really big on Conan O'Brien right now. I mean, his podcast, he's really funny. But um, what I enjoy about it is he has some very heartfelt conversations with other performers about life and stuff and... Um, I find it very incredible because they'll talk about the journey and they'll talk about their struggles. Like I listened to a really good one with Kevin Hart, who also talked about like why he works so hard, all the things he went through, all the, like, even like systemic racism and all these type of um, struggles. And it was very fascinating. I, I listened to one of, with uh, Howard Stern and him. They talk about 9-11. They talked about, um, you know, uh, being a leader and then also changing perspectives as they've grown up and gotten older. And like, even, oh, I know he talked about rape, which was really interesting. He learned about rape um, and identifying it through Amy Schumer. So it's like, they actually, like, you would think these would be very funny, superficial conversations, but they're actually very deep and thought out. And then occasionally you're actually laughing pretty hard. Um, So I really enjoyed that. Yeah, he's one of the last remaining late night hosts that I think knows how to interview people. Yeah. And he also just has a conscience about what to discuss. Yeah, uh, yeah. And his show has shifted in a way where, um, I mean, I don't know if his podcast is his show or if it's separate, but 
I know his show, he really changed it over the past couple of years from just being a comedy guy at a desk to he now his format is he sits in a chair and faces the person and there's a little coffee table. And it's just that shift in format tells me everything tells me everything about what he's really going for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can tell he really cares about uh, uh, people he's talking to. He wants to connect. And I think that's why the podcast is about, like, Conan needs a friend. Like, that's the whole theme of the podcast, which is really hilarious. But he literally is trying to connect with the people he's interviewing. Um, and, you again, yeah, you wouldn't expect that from a comedian. But he does it so well. And I really appreciate that. Because not many people want that anymore. Yeah, and yeah, the, uh, 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 or maybe they do and they don't realize it. Yeah, no, mm, that's a good point. Because I think we all need it, and but then we get so distracted by the computer, by the phone, uh, the social media. Yeah, that I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I see. I think we crave connection, and it's just coming out in such an ass backwards way now. I mean, like. People I see now will talk about misery in their social media posts because they want to be heard, but it all it becomes is comfort by a obscene amount of likes, you know, yeah. which is just a superficial way to like express yourself and to be heard. It's very weird. It's very very weird. I've been analyzing that a lot too. This. Yeah, I make a conscious effort not to like um, if it's not something that's totally head over heels about. Um, But what I'll do instead is if I see somebody posting a lot, I'll reach out to them directly and I'll be like, hey, uh, do you want to come on a podcast or do you want to do you want to have a phone call? Do you want to, you know, do so like I'll find another way to connect with them because I don't feel like I'm I, I would I'm what I'm trying to do basically is act the way I want kind of more people to be. So I would rather, you know, if they see me, for example, posting lots of stuff that maybe I'm posting too much or maybe why is he posting this? Maybe reach out to me or, you know, reach out to your cousin who's posting a lot of nonsensical stuff that, you know, are they looking? Because to me, it's a behavior. It's a behavior observation where like, oh, I'm observing that there's something going on on the other end. Yeah. And the one thing that it comes down to, I think, is just loneliness. And most of the time, I feel like I'm right. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes people just don't know how to use social media. But for the most part, I feel like when I see a lot of just nonsensical posting, the most sensible solution for me is just to reach out to them directly. Don't like any of it. And uh, because I don't know what, what the solution is for the social media problem i don't know how it's going to change even though you know currently the government is suing facebook i don't know if that's really going to change the way people behave on social media the way they lean in on it and in a and in a very unhealthy way uh and so the way i i use it now is just it's really rooted in observing behavior and deciding whether it's time to reach out to a person directly or not um I don't know. I have such a hard time with social media now, mainly where I've just lost all interest in it, Um, except TikTok. I go on TikTok because (laughs) like it's just entertaining. 
You know, people will do things that really make me laugh really hard. Or sometimes I've now manipulated the algorithm where occasionally I'll see like a conspiracy theory or alien stuff or, or something on a ghost story. I'm like, great, let's keep that algorithm going. Do you like UFOs? I love that type of stuff. It's entertaining. And I'm just like, yes, cool. Aliens are coming. Great. Like, <laughs> so, but, um, so TikTok is definitely a guilty pleasure. Instagram, I try to avoid. I really am at the point now where I avoid Instagram. Yeah, I haven't been on there in a long time. I used to post all the time and I just find it, um, I find it very difficult because, you know, I get so frustrated where someone, I used to get more frustrated where people are posting like, <laughs> you know, doing stuff and everything and they have like 500 likes and i'll be posting about like hey you know um something motivating and inspiring and people don't give two flying fucks about it you know <laughs> or something truthful and, and realistic and i think that's what i you know one of the things that gets under my skin about instagram is yeah. i see time and time again multitude of personalities doing really great stuff with it who next have next to no followers no likes no acknowledgments and then you'll have somebody in like a night uh, some nightwear or a bikini or yeah. something like that who's not do not doing any good service to the world except maybe showing her belly yeah, and she's yeah. got thousands of likes and yeah. thousands of followers and these are the same people who are trying to post like motivational stuff. And the only reason it's getting liked is because bra showing and everything's hanging out. Like, it's, and then it's just so frustrating. Because what are we teaching about self-respect? What are we teaching? Yeah. Like I'll post sometimes a workout picture, which is fine, like whatever. But there's a difference between that. I feel like, and then there's a way you can do it where it's also very dirty. I, I don't know. But it just infuriates me. And then Facebook's just become like a graveyard of, I don't even know what anymore. I, I just like, I just can't even go on there anymore. It's either very political. Like I now am actually unfollowing people on Facebook, on Instagram, over and over. One of the, the great features that they have now is mute somebody for a month. Yeah. Instead <laughs> and I, I've, been, I've been doing that left and right all, all autumn. Yeah. <laughs> I can stay friends with them and unfollow them. I've done that to a few people because I got to keep my numbers. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, especially like, that's the confusing part about being an actor is like, they talk about social media being so important, but then I have such a resistance to it because I don't feel like it's doing anything for me. Like if I was on TikTok, I you know, I can understand how people become TikTok personalities. I get that. But that's not really what I want to be spending my time doing. Well, I, I think it's it. ultimately something that as an asset to the business, right? Whatever oh, yeah. business we're in. Yeah. Uh, it becomes an asset only when you have a project ready to go out. Exactly. But at, bef before that, it's just maintaining and growing it. And that's excruciating yeah. because of everything we just discussed. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's the problem is, like, I don't always want to share pictures. You know, I'm not someone, like, the selfies get really boring to me. There's no context to it. Like, I know there's another, there's a girl I follow who's, like, mom's, like, you know, she's not doing too well, and, like, they, they, they post selfies, and it's, like, and then they're, like, oh, I'm going to go see my family, and they're posing and stuff, and I'm, like, uh, hopefully they're not going to listen to this podcast, but they, they're, they're hearing me say this, but it's just like, you know, to me, it's very weird. Like you're posing and making a cutie fish face and you're also 
talking about something very serious and I, it's confusing and then that gets a lot of likes and then I don't know how to feel about that. Um, so that becomes like an, un, I don't know. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Oh, it yeah. makes perfect sense. And I, yeah. I agree with it. And I don't think they'll listen to the podcast. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's definitely one of the things like I just, I hate the whole maintaining thing, the selfies. I feel like there should always be good content. If you're going to put it out there, it should be content that's worth it. Yeah. Something that is meaningful. Well, you know, for me, it's like, I've, I never started out this way, but I shifted to this idea that if something happened to me today, yeah, what would immediately be left behind? Yeah. So far, it's a work in progress film, yeah. a couple of films that I like, and some episodes of the podcast that I think are useful. Yeah. I want to build on that. And so yeah. every time I put something out into the public sphere, I'm, I'm thinking about that now, and I never really yeah. used to. I think it's because as soon as I hit 36 years of age, I started really hardcore thinking of that. And I know that's young, that's young, but to me, yeah. it's not. Like, to me, right, right. I feel like I'm old. Right. Uh, and so... You're still far from 40, then. <laughs> huh? You're still far from 40. I'm a few months from 40. Yeah, that's still far. <laughs> I'm 39 now. Yeah. Um, which is a weird, because I don't have a single gray hair on me, which I guess I've been stress-free for the most part, but <laughs> good for you. Good for you. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, but actually, uh, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> Thinking about it, I know people my age. I'm 31 who have gray hairs coming out. I'm like, damn, like they're stressed out. They probably yeah. are economists. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I find a lot of people in finance go gray quick. Yeah, I, I mean, there's something to it where I do see some of my friends who look very aged. I actually got one gray at one point uh, in my early to mid 30s before I went back to school. Um, I did my first and only SAG after a ultra low budget contracted film. And at the end of it, I had one gray hair. And I'm like, I'm never doing SAG again. Like, uh. <laughs> at least not as long as I'm responsible financially. And um, yeah, I think that screams volumes about kind of our society when so many people in their 30s do get grays. Mm -hmm. And the stress of society. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. It's true. That's why you have to really live the life that you want. You really, really do. I mean, I feel like there's so much to that. And that puts a lot of pressure on us and a lot of stress in our bodies. Have, have you ever read the book? Uh, it's Malcolm Gladwell, The Outliers. Yes. He yep. talks about that in the intro where like there's this one society they eat like garbage food, but they're the healthiest in terms of their like heart it's like health. Like in Germany or something, right? No, it, no, it's in uh, it's in like I don't know if it was Pennsylvania or Ohio, okay. but like it's the secluded town, and the reason is because it's just a stress-free yeah. place to live, and there's not a lot of outside influence, and so they just had the lowest rate of heart disease despite the fact that their diets were complete shit. Like, yeah, I. I absolutely agree with that. I really do believe that what you're actually, um, you really have to save yourself. And sometimes doing things that are going to liberate your soul and your freedom is what's going to save your health. I think we should end on that. Yeah. Okay. That's a great quote. 
Uh, and uh, I think that's ultimately so whenever I do these I'm always trying to find a thesis of an episode so I know what to title it and I know what yeah, to yeah. talk about in the description I think that's it I think that's what we came to yes and end up high we're gonna end on a high high note um, and so we did, it. we did it we're done awesome all right cool. I'm gonna go eat breakfast finally I just oh woke up gosh. at one yeah, go do it. <laughs> All right, it was so good to see you. Thank you so much for doing video too with me. I know it's hard, but I, I really it was nice to be able to see you and tell Jan. It's fine. We know each other. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, I'll Bye. see you later. Bye. All right, everybody. That was Lise Lacasio, actor and martial arts expert, action star. She was in my movie Fractals, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks. Bye.